0: Hello, friend and colleague. It's Nikki from Full Voice Music on our podcast show today, episode 145. I have oodles of repertoire recommendations. I'm talking about first solos and quick wins. My guest Phyllis Horridge is talking about finding first monologues. Our social media expert Karen Michaels is talking about alt text for images on your website and social media posts. And Dr. Heather Nelson is talking about breathing pedagogy, repertoire, acting, Best practices and teacher pedagogy right here on the Full Voice Podcast. Hello, my friend and colleague. Thank you for joining me for another Full Voice Podcast episode. This show is going to be fantastic. Great, great topics. And uh, so many teacher takeaways, so many things that you can take back into your studio. Uh, I want to just, uh, I want to just say hello to everybody. So first of all, qu- I always like to start with a question. How is your September going? Um, so I love the fall. I love the cooler weather. I love sweaters, uh, big sweaters and yoga pants and uh, hot cups of tea. I love pumpkin spice. I love that stuff. But I do not love, I do not love getting my schedule. Together. And it's like middle of September, and I am still trying to work things out. Now, I start my season a little bit later, um, but still, uh, it's no fun. And I, I go through this every year. I know you do too. So I try not to take it personally. I know that it's going to work out, but you know, just when you think you've got your schedule all together, and then you get the email, phone call, or text saying that that time won't work for them anymore. And I'd always used to drive me nuts. I'd work so so hard, you know, to get everybody's schedule thing. As soon as school started, then everything would ha- my schedule would have to change again, and I was calling all my students and families. And so one of the decisions I made. Mm, gosh, mm, a long time ago is that I wasn't going to start the first week that school started because that was just a recipe for pain and suffering. So I start a little bit later after school starts. So I give my families time to get settled. I keep in touch with them. I don't disappear off the face of the earth. I keep in touch with them. But I still... I'm still trying to figure out my schedule, and uh, uh, yes, I've had some some interesting moments and um, frustrated moments. But uh, so, a big virtual hug to all of you who are still trying to get that schedule solidified, and also a big, big, big virtual hug for those of you who did get your schedule settled and then people either dropped out and quit altogether or demanded another time. (laughs) So I, I see you, I feel your pain. It will work out, I promise. I promise if the students say goodbye, it's because there is another student waiting. The perfect student is just waiting for that spot. I always tell myself that, and it's true. The energy you put out is the energy you get back. Uh, Before I introduce uh, my fabulous, fabulous guests, I want to talk about first solos. The very first solo and music that we give our young singers. Um, Many of you are welcoming new singers into your studio for the teaching season. And that, oh, there's so much to do, isn't there? I mean, we need to get them started and we're trying to assess where they're at and how they feel about their voice and we're getting to know them. And we want to obviously get started with some new music. Now, One of the things that I learned the hard way, (laughs) the very hard way, um, is that if we give them pieces of music that are just too challenging, we're going to run into a lot of problems. And I have actually lost students. Um, and heartbreaking. I always feel bad about this, but I've actually had students and families quit because I got too aggressive with my repertoire choices and they got overwhelmed really quickly. So one of the things that I want to remind teachers is that when we're getting started with students, we need them to have what I call quick wins. So songs that they can learn really quick, that they can take home and practice successfully because they already know them really well, and then come back for more wonderful instruction. Um, and one of the things that, um, one of the things that I, I kind of use the language that these are um, first solos, like they're kind of the stepping stone pieces that we need before we introduce a bigger piece of music. And I want to remind my colleagues out there, um, and I know that you know this, I know you know this deep down inside, some of the recommended pieces for young singers, like a lot of people, and these questions are coming up a lot in our forum, and I get this this email and these questions a lot, and I do talk about this in the full voice teacher training that we offer, The recommended songs, the go-to songs for kids, a lot of them are not appropriate for first solos. A lot of them are really challenging. I don't know who needs to hear this, but Disney songs were not written for children to sing. They were written for professionals to sing for children's movies. And some Disney pieces are incredibly challenging. I had to sing When You Wish Upon a Star as a vocal test in college. (laughs) And that song still haunts me to this day. But, um, and it's not that I don't assign Disney or musical theater pieces. It's just I don't assign them the very first lesson or within the first few months of singing with my students. They're just too big. Part of your world is eight pages. That is a marathon. The music from Matilda is so hard. When I first heard quiet from Matilda, I had to sit down and comfort myself with a cup of tea. And then I was like trying to strategize, okay, how would I break that down? Would I teach this section first? Would we do just like the patter speech first? There are some serious challenges in repertoire for children from from musicals and for Disney. So again, not that I don't assign these pieces, but I don't assign them as first solos. But I have oodles and oodles of recommendations for you. So first of all, um, the there's a couple, first of all, there's some websites that are fabulous. Bethsnotesplus.com. Beth is an Orf and Kadai teacher. And this is probably one of the most beautifully organized websites for finding repertoire. It's organized by season, by theme, by category, by musical concepts being taught in the piece. You can search her website and find all sorts of wonderful little songs. It's so good. And she does have a membership option for lesson plans, but like the the majority of her website is available to visit and to search for free. Um, Now, the other website, which is fabulous is DonnaAndAndy.com. Our good friend Donna Rodenizer, who's going to be on the podcast next week, um, has over 30 years of classroom teaching, working with elementary students. And not only is their music fabulous, but she has a lot of blogs and a lot of collections on there. Um, She recently released, um, in the summer, she released a a PDF for camp songs. Camp songs are wonderful first solos, wonderful first songs to get started. They're quick, they're repetitive, um, amazing ways to assess your students with some singing before getting into those bigger pieces. Uh, But recently, Donna just did a blog about uh, welcome songs and name songs. So songs that welcome the students into the classroom. I use welcome songs in, my small group classes and name songs where the students have to sing to you and give them your their name. Those are super helpful. So that is on Donna's website, Donnaandandy.com. Now, the other book that I absolutely love and have used in many, many uh, small group classes, um, I find it so helpful, is the First We Sing series by Susan Brumfield. Um, Her book, 100 Little Songs and Rhymes. This has echo songs, action songs, camp songs, so many fantastic songs, uh, circle songs. Those are so much fun uh, if you're doing small groups, Uh, but such a wonderful, wonderful uh, collection. So first we sing series. There's several books. There's quite a few books in that series, but the one that I love is the 100 Little Songs and Rhymes so many great little cute songs. Now the other recommendations, and I I do hope that you will check this out. Uh, On thefullvoice.com, we have been working with fabulous children's composers, uh, Donna Rodenizer and Glenn Lehman from Australia. We have a new composer that is uh, working with us, Linda Fletcher. She's from Oakville, Ontario, Canada. Now, all of these composers understand children's voices, and when we are creating our Uh, songs or writing our songs, we are always super mindful about the needs of the young singer. And many of the songs in our uh, song download library are beautiful for first solos. They are short. They are easy to learn. And if you haven't been to our website, our single song downloads include a studio license. And for those of you, you're going you've probably seen information uh, from other composers, from other publishers about studio licenses. So a studio license, that piece of music that you purchase, ha- comes with um, the permission, to make copies. And for our single song downloads, not only do you get to make copies and you can send them to your students, uh, you can also, uh, share the backing tracks, having the tools to help your students practice successfully at home is essential. Without those tools, your students will not be able to practice. So we put together uh, the single song download packages. They include the full score, lead sheets, um, and backing tracks, one just the piano and one with a melody guide. You can share all of that with your students so that they can uh, successfully practice at home. So all of our single song downloads are also organized by appropriate age, themes, and any song that's mm, you know probably like just around a minute a minute and a half those are wonderful first solos those are easy to teach they're quick to learn most of the songs for first solos are can be taught in one maybe two lessons and of course, you have all of the the backing tracks and and support for home practice. Um, on our free resources page, there's a couple of warm-up songs. The one I want to bring to your attention is Hot Chocolate is a delightful warm-up song perfect for the cooler fall and winter season. Um, and it again, it comes with a backing track. It's a quick song to learn it's a lot of fun and it can be used as a warm-up and it can u- be used as a first solo. Now the other the other resource that I want to bring your attention to is the vocal studies, for kids. Now, Donna and I were working on just that. We wanted the first songs, the first introductory songs that a child would learn in a voice lesson to be presented in a fun way. So the vocal studies include solfege studies, which are meant to be taught by rote and unaccompanied. It's very important for our singers to sing without accompaniment. Step away from the piano. And then it includes what we call warm-up song adventures. These are short, sweet little songs. Most of them are maybe a minute long. They're easy to learn. They're easy to teach. They have smaller vocal ranges, so you can get an idea of what your students uh, are comfortable singing, and and they're also wonderful assessment tools. Uh, We want to learn about our students, about their voices, about their abilities before we start assigning pieces. Assess before you assign. So the vocal studies for kids, and the vocal studies, the warm-up songs, they also include backing tracks. So all the things that you need are there. Um, and I also want to bring everybody's attention. If you go to our free resources page, there's also a fun song. This is the perfect starting song for so many little singers. I would say singers, maybe six, seven, and eight. There is a beautiful song. Donna Rodenizer gifted this to the full voice. It's called it's raining cats and dogs. It's a free download. It comes with backing tracks, and it's a wonderful little song, um, perfect for rainy days like today. And the kids absolutely love it. I haven't had a young singer not enjoy singing that song, and it's free on our website. Now, for those of you who are searching for more first solos, I want to bring your attention to our website. We now have a listening library. So the songs that we have put out, not all of them, we're working on our library, but we have many lyric videos with a young singer singing the songs, which you can share with your students. So if you, if, uh, you have a singer that needs a little bit more support at home. You can send the videos home to, with, uh, with your students, but there's a listening library and you have this amazing opportunity to just check out some of our first solos on there. So I hope that you'll do that. So thefullvoice.com forward slash listening library. There are links in the show notes. My friends, as you start this teaching season, I am wishing you happy singing, wonderful first solos, and quick wins for your young singers. If you are working with your singers in the musical theater genre quite often our teaching is about acting as much as it is singing. Now often our musical theater singers need monologues for their auditions and if you're like me I tend to get a little bit of well a lot of imposter syndrome when it comes to working on monologues because that's not really my area of expertise. So I am excited to introduce my good friend Phyllis Horridge who is is not only a brilliant voice teacher, but also an actor. And Phyllis is going to help fill in the blanks and give us a little more confidence when it comes to finding those first monologues. Welcome to the podcast, my friend, my colleague, Phyllis Horridge. How are you? I am fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> I am so excited that you are here. You're joining us for our sixth season as not only an amazing voice teacher, but you have a, an extensive background in acting and as a t- teacher myself who often has to prepare students with monologues, but I don't have the information that perhaps you do. I am so thrilled that you can uh, help us to understand the ins and outs of maybe working with monologues and uh, the different acting things that we need to know, but I would really love to give you the opportunity to let everybody, all all our listeners get to know you a little bit. So if you don't mind just giving us a little, a little background on your, your acting experience and how it works in your teaching studio.
1: Okay, sure. Um, Well, I feel like I've been acting my whole life. (laughs) Um, It wasn't until middle school that my middle school English teacher said to me, hey, are you gonna audition for the school play? And I was like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) You would be great, you should audition. So I went into my very first audition knowing nothing about theater, nothing. And um, the next day I got a callback and I had no idea what that term was and what it meant, <laughs> but I called my mom up and I was like, mom, I'm staying after school, I got a call back. She's like, great. And I thought I was cast. I was like, yes, I'm in the show. <laughs> Turns out that's not what a callback is. Mm. Uh, but we went through the callback thing and then I actually got cast in the show and did my very first Full-fledged play. Um, it was in seventh grade, and I have my English teacher to thank for that. So, oh, thank wow. you, Mrs. Dean, wherever you are out there. When I get my first Tony Award, I'll probably thank oh, her too. Oh,
0: <laughs> how lovely! How lovely! Uh, now, since your since your grade seven debut on stage, you have actually put an enormous amount of work into your skill into your craft. So, can you give us a little bit of a of of Uh, an outline of how you've grown as an actor since grade seven. Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: I actually wanted to pursue musical theater in college, and I had gone out and auditioned for all sorts of programs, got accepted in some great programs, but sadly, financially, it was gonna be difficult. And my father, I love him dearly, but at the time was like, what are you gonna do with a musical theater degree? So I did not pursue theater no. in college. I decided to pursue music education, and then I minored in theater. So I took a couple of classes, and I was able to do some of the shows on campus. Um, but I never really pursued anything um, seriously until after college. Mm. And uh, I, basically, I, was, I finished college. I started teaching music in the schools. And then after about three years in the schools, I said, you know what? I'm still young, I'm gonna quit my job and I'm gonna move to New York City. Wow. That is what I did. (laughs) I had a full-time job with benefits, and I just I quit everything and moved to New York City. And from there, this is where I started to really hone in my craft of acting. Because I didn't have a lot of acting classes behind me. I had all the singing stuff, Mm -hmm. but the acting stuff wasn't there. And so I just, when you're in New York City, there's so many classes being offered. So I just started researching different programs and different classes. And I would always be learning. While I was living there and auditioning for things, I would always be taking a class. Wow. And I just kind of
0: kept up with that. And I still take classes today. I love that. I love that. Now when you are when you are working in your teaching studio so this is i i struggle with this so there's so many things that we're trying to help our singers with in the singing department but of course many of our singers and many of our studios are teaching musical theater so acting is such a huge part of that genre how do you how do you balance that in a a voice lesson how do you get do you do separate acting classes with your students or do you kind of do a half and half kind of lesson
1: that's a great question it varies from student to student so when we are in on what we call audition season and there's a ton of auditions happening my students the first thing i ask them in their lesson is what do you want to work on today and if their answer is, I don't know, then tech, we usually work on technique, the vocal stuff, yeah. all the things that we need to work on when it comes to voice. But most of the time they'll come in and go, I have an audition next week and I need to do this, this, and this. Oh, okay, so there goes my whole lesson plan out the window. Let's work on this monologue or this song and the acting part of it. So. On occasion, if it's like a song that we have to learn 32 measures, we'll work on that, make it sound really great and then the second half of the lesson will be the acting portion of it.
0: Okay. okay. Now do you do you, I, I know that auditions are different and it depends on the on the program or the opportunity that they're auditioning for. but do you have a st- like a go-to list? Of, I, I'm asking for all the voice teachers out there. Do you have a go-to <laughs> list or a resource for finding these monologues or, or did the students usually come and say, this is the monologue I have to do? Yeah,
1: I wish I could tell you that I had a go-to resource. I really do. <laughs> but nowadays it's recommended that you don't go out and buy a monologue book and use this monologue book because everybody's doing it. And when you use a monologue book, there's always something kind of missing from the monologue. Uh, not that they're not well written or anything, but I think the key is is to start reading plays or going to see plays and writing stuff down. So you know, my task is basically to to read one play a week. Plays don't take that long to read, and I usually look at the the character descriptions before I pick the play, so you can Google, I need a play with five 17-year-old kids, or whatever it is, and you'll find names of some plays with those stats, and you're like, all right, I'm gonna read this play, and then I'm gonna see if there's, number one, a monologue within the play, or can I delete some of the lines that other people are saying and turn it into my own monologue? And then other times, um, movies, I'm not even joking if you if you watch enough like I mean I teach middle school and high school students if you watch enough Disney Plus <laughs> there is probably a movie out there with a great monologue in there and it may not already be written out for you so you may actually have to watch it and just notate it yourself so that you have a written monologue from a film or a television show.
0: Oh, that's interesting. And what a great way to start the memorization process by writing it out and listening to it and repeating it and speaking it. Like that's that's fantastic.
1: Now, on some occasions, students will come to me with a monologue that they've already found, which is great. And I never argue it. I'm never like, ah, this is terrible. Let's not do it. <laughs> if they bring it to me, I will go ahead and work it with them and we'll do magic with it. It'll be great. So they will sometimes, and most of them, what they do is just Google search. So you go on a Google search, type in monologues for kids, monologues, sad monologues, happy monologues, whatever it is. And you can start reading things that are online, too. And they're not terrible.
0: I mean, there are some good ones out there, but you have to do your own research. Have you ever brought, have you ever had a student that's brought a monologue that it's just so inappropriate, you've kindly had to steer them in a different direction? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> all the time, all the time. Uh, yeah. And you just, you kind of go, well, I get the idea of, of what you want here. And I think I have a different monologue that is very similar that might be a better choice.
0: Oh, that see, and I know there's a lot of teachers out there thinking, great. First, it was inappropriate repertoire and now we got to deal with inappropriate monologues. Now my life has just gotten far more complicated. (laughs) Um, when, how, so in your, in your teaching studio, what ages do you see in your teaching studio? Uh,
1: this year, my youngest student is six years old and my oldest student is, I think in her seventies. Oh, I love that. It's a wide variety, but the majority of my students are in middle school, eighth grade or um, high school, early high school, ninth, tenth grade.
0: Do you have like a an age where you'll start to introduce monologues like as they go through your your studio, like is there a. A beginner age that you start them with, like maybe with a smaller monologue, or do you use different dramatic exercises to kind of stepping stone them? I love Shell Silverstein. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: So take a Shell Silverstein poem for the younger students and introduce them to, you know, if I had to wash the dishes, such an awesome, boring chore. If I had to wash the dishes instead of going to the store, if I had to wash the dishes. And drop one on the floor, maybe they won't make me dry the dishes anymore or whatever. <laughs> you know, like there, those Shell Silverstein poetry books are golden for the younger generation.
0: That is a wonderful teacher takeaway. I'm gonna put links in the show notes to that resource. That's a new resource for me. I've never, I've never used those. I know, but I've never thought of using them and i have some wonderful young singers that are really budding actors and i think that would be such a wonderful what a wonderful warm up too cuz you could use it as a diction exercise as yes. well Oh, I love that. Oh, Phyllis, that is so helpful. I am so excited because you are returning throughout the season this year with even more wonderful strategies for helping our singers with their acting skills. And of course, uh, you're also gonna be sharing some information about just acting, the acting industry itself. So I wanna thank you. Phyllis uh, Horridge is our acting coach expert for our podcast this year. And Phyllis, I can't thank you enough your passion. um, I I want to encourage everyone to follow your socials. So you have, so first of all, if you have not seen Phyllis's TikTok account, what, okay, give everybody your TikTok account, Phyllis. My TikTok account is at phyllis.sings. I love that. Phyllis does fabulous reels on Instagram and TikTok um, videos. You're so funny and they're so helpful. So um, I love those. But one of the things that you shared and I saw it on Instagram was how you had to quickly prepare for a show. So you had to do an enormous amount of memorization and preparing for a, 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 were you, were you replacing somebody?
1: Yes, I replaced somebody. So I had to learn everything in two weeks and she was a leading role.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay. So on your socials, you shared your process for learning the lines and getting everything. And I, I was very, very interested in that. So I want to encourage all our listeners to uh, connect with Phyllis, find and follow her. All of her uh, socials are on our podcast page and in the show notes. But Phyllis, you'll be back soon on the podcast with even more wonderful information about acting. Thank you so much.
1: You're so welcome. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Social media expert Kim Karen Michaels has been taking care of us through many seasons of the podcast. She returns to the sixth season of the podcast. And today we are talking about alt text for our images on our website and social media posts. Welcome back to the podcast, Karen Michaels, my social media expert. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me back today. It's so much fun. Well, I bring you back because I love you, but also for selfish reasons, because I have burning (laughs) questions and something that I need to know about. And I figured that if I'm thinking about this for my socials, probably there's Mm. a lot of other people that are thinking about it. So I want to talk about, um, I want to talk about alt tech for, for images. So I've started yes. to see, and I've started to see people put, um, I think it's for like the visually impaired, like, like image descriptions, image descriptions. And, and I'm thinking that I want to be as inclusive, uh, as possible and also make sure that I'm following the rules. So yes. can we, can
2: we dive into that? We absolutely can. It's literally one of my favorite, um, social media tricks, hacks, however you want to call that. And also because it, it has that dual thing of it's doing something good and we we get to benefit from it, which is, I mean, just so wonderful. So alt text, alternative text is what it stands for. And that is what Google uses for those who may be uh, visually impaired. And so as they are surfing um, the net and want to understand what their what they would be seeing, the alt text describes it to them. So it's very important because that's what Google uses, right? So it's very important to be, you want to be, you, you don't want to keyword stuff, keywords being that SEO thing. You want to tell exactly what's in the picture and try to be as clever as possible. So for example, if I had a picture um, of myself at the piano looking at a student, OK, I would say something like voice teacher in Las Vegas sharing vocal tips with a treasured student. OK, and now
0: you have to put like a little uh, a little bracket around. So this is this is what I <sighs> okay, see.
2: So Yes. Oh, okay. that's if you. OK, great question. That's if you're doing it um, with code. I do everything. That, so if you there's a tool called Geo Imager. Okay. You can, you can use that tool. It's like $5 a month. Okay. Um, I believe you can do, I believe that you can actually um, do five images a week for free. So okay. if you're clever and plan things out, you could do that. Geo imager actually puts in your location oh. and uh, which I'll talk about in a hot second. You can put in your alt text and you can put in your keywords and you can caption. So mm. now in everybody's photos, Um, whatever photo app that you're using, I always recommend go in there when you're editing, put a caption, put the title, because we don't want that image to say 1625-7, all that silliness. Google does not like that. And it basically just moves past that picture. But if it says Karen at the piano with student or the Las Vegas voice teacher app, you know, whatever it is. So I title mine, you know, per whatever business that I'm doing or whatever it is that I'm um whatever is happening in the picture is what you you say for the for the caption and the alt text. Um caption be should be shorter. Alt text can be it depends. Like when you're uploading to for example um LinkedIn, you can add the alt text there. They have that built into their platform. They have it built into Twitter. They have it built into Instagram. It is not built in automatically on Facebook unless you're using Facebook creator studio. And then when you are uploading there, you, um, it says advanced on the right hand side of your screen, and then you click on that and every single photo, it will allow you to put in the alt text.
0: I'm really glad you said that in full disclosure. I've seen those instructions and I have totally ignored them, but now I know that I can't (laughs) ignore them anymore because I want to shout out. I saw um, some wonderful, uh, wonderful um, posts and um, the one account that I, I watch and love and I think she does a really good job is music for kiddos. Mm. She's a music therapist and, and creates wonderful lesson plans, but she has, always used like, um, you know, the alt alt text. And then you see in the, in her, in her description, uh, in the Instagram, you'll see the four like visually impaired people. And I was like, that is so mindful. We're all trying to be more inclusive.
2: Absolutely. And
0: it, re- it made me realize that, I've been ignoring this and skipping past it. So,
2: And you know what's great? Unlike hashtags, which we've talked about in the past, where you have to put them in right away or put them in with hard returns in the post, alt text, friends, you can take one hour go back through your account, use Facebook creator studio. If you're going to do Instagram, or you can go anytime you press the three dots on the top right-hand side of your post on Instagram proper, it will bring up that edit button. And then you can edit your alt text there. You can go back and edit things from a year ago and Mm -hmm. it will, it will still help you. Mm -hmm. And it's not like it has to be a timed kind of thing. Yeah. So it, yeah. It's really, really important and really great. I do want to mention, I know I mentioned about location mm. for all of us who have home studios and feel mm. concerned about that. All you need to do is put a, like a designated landmark that people would recognize. So they know you're near that. So for example, I don't of course put my address in, I have a home studio. I put in the Las Vegas strip because that's oh. a known landmark that's nearby.
0: Okay. And that's helpful, mm-hmm. right? Because if somebody, because I get that, you know, people will find the full voice, and they're in like, you know, Saudi Arabia, and they're looking for a voice teacher. and It is like, uh oh, right? Like exactly. <laughs> or
2: maybe they want it. Uh, and remember, friends, now that we're so online. Mm-hmm. Maybe that Saudi Arabia teacher wants to talk to you. Right. That's true. And now, I, I mean, now it's, the game is different. So it's just that maybe they'll want to know the time zone. And then, yes, of course, if they're doing, if they want something in person, then it's helpful for them to know. And that way Google will direct them, you know, voice lessons near me. That's obviously a very typical search on yeah. Google. Yeah. Um, and so that's where it'll help yourself because it'll it and that using the landmark will it'll still show you without having to put your address so you can keep safe. And the
0: geotagging. So how does that work in say Instagram?
2: So that's the location. You can also do location. Okay. And again, you just I always use the Las Vegas Strip as my known landmark. It's very important to do that because Think of it this way. It's sort of like if somebody asks you a question about your business, you don't want to just give them, oh, yeah, um, it, it's, a, it's a music thing I do. That's not how you would answer. You would say, oh, I'm a voice teacher and I specialize in this and I love teaching this and this and this, right? So think of your pictures as the same way. You want to use that medium to share as much information as you can. Why not? It's sitting right there. It's free. Just do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the and the alt
0: text too like like alt text isn't always seen like so it's it's not most of the
2: time it's not it's seen it's not mm-hmm. so it's
0: so you can be a little more you could you know put a lot more information in the alt text
2: Absolutely and don't worry about grammar. don't worry about capital. No grammar here is needed or desired. They just want a literal description a mountain in the sunset in Las Vegas whatever I'm just trying to think of like yeah you know sure. a picture I just saw um, on my friend's account and that's all it needs to say mm-hmm.
0: perfect. Karen, these are really helpful, and, and I do appreciate you coming back to to clarify a few things and to help us to keep our best practices for our social media accounts. Um, uh, we will have you back as always, and I am Yay. wishing I am wishing you an amazing day.
2: Thank you. Same to you, my friend.
0: Dr. Heather Nelson returns to the sixth season of the Full Voice Podcast. Today, our conversation is about breathing pedagogy and specifically sharing some best practices and considerations we may need to make when we are working with singers of all ages. Welcome back back and welcome to season 6 of the full voice podcast my good friend and my colleague vocologist dr heather nelson how are you i'm very well so
3: glad to be here again this is so much fun
0: i love your segments you always bring such detailed information and you do such a great way of explaining um, everything and i think as uh, as voice teachers out there it's a good either it's either a good refresher Right. Mm Because we've probably studied at this at one point, but it's nice to kind of go over it as a review or for some teachers that maybe are new. Maybe this is new information. So either way, Mm -hmm. either way, we're we're providing an excellent service. But uh, we have a great topic and an important one, obviously, in our field. We're going to talk about breathing. Yes. I love it. I'm just going to let, I'm going to turn things over to you. So, so let's go over the whole kit and caboodle. Great. So if you want to start an argument
3: amongst voice teachers, probably (laughs) breathing is one of the best ways to do it because there's so many, um, thoughts and ideas about it. Um, I've done some blogging about breathing, um, over the summer. So if if you want to go to my blog, you'll find a few, um, a few posts. One of the things that, um, that I uh, posit that I propose is that when we are developing our own breathing pedagogy, we, you can kind of consider it like a Venn diagram. We take what we know about the mechanics and we take what we, kn- what we believe about breathing, our philosophy of breathing and where those things intersect is our breathing pedagogy. Because a classical teacher is going to have probably different ideas about the breath than a CCM teacher. Um, a teacher who has a background of breathing issues like asthma or, um, you know, other issues like that is going to have some different ideas and different experiences with breathing than a teacher who has never had issues with taking a breath. And so it's important for us to take a look at what our breathing philosophy is, as well as the mechanics. The mechanics are there and they are complicated, let's be honest about it. You know, but what we believe about breathing is going to help us it's, it's going to interact with what we know about the mechanics, and that's how we're going to come up with our own breathing pedagogy. And so I've been talking a little bit about that on my blog this summer.
0: I love that you brought that up about what our experience and how it how it obviously affects how we bring it up. And that's really interesting because, one, as a student, I don't think I truly had the the awareness in my younger years of singing and I had great teachers and worked in great choirs and yes breathing was always discussed but I don't think it, w- it wasn't until I got into college so in my early 20s that I actually kind of figured that the, the diaphragm and all of that was explained properly and then I was like I really had some like aha moments but I would like to add that moving into, as I got older, moving into yoga classes and meditation classes and actually working on specific types of breathing. Like it's a forever changing experience and it's important to check in with your pedagogy as you go through your experiences. So thank you for bringing that up.
3: Absolutely. You know, and our our bodies change and we, we you know, we experience things that, um, um, you know, it happened to us, you know, um, I know some people that have, you know, gotten into car accidents and they've had to relearn or get in touch with their body again. Um, and so, uh, you know, as we get older and our lungs become less elastic, you know, we, we learn how to breathe differently or we, we adapt to that. Um, And heck, even if we just, you know, like move to a different location that's at a higher or lower elevation, you know, we have to learn how to breathe differently. But you mentioned too that, um, like, you've learned different things in yoga and meditation class. um, And I think voice teaching is becoming more holistic that we're starting to breathe or bring, we're starting to breathe different ideas into our, into our, our studios. We're becoming more holistic in how we're, we're view, viewing, breathing. Um, my experience, um, when I was growing up and learning is I was basically taught one way to breathe for, for singing. There was, you know, um, the, the appaggio is, is basically what I was, what I was taught. And, um, uh, that is certainly fine and that that's great but that doesn't that didn't cover all of the situations that I needed to to sing in And so um, I am a fan of teaching adaptive breathing techniques um, so that we are we are giving our students a bigger toolbox that they can pull from. I love that
0: that's so helpful. I um, you know one of the other things I just wanted to add before we got into, the specifics is as a voice teacher, I've seen a lot of people come to me that are really compromised in their breathing because they've been given certain information and they've become Like this is how it has to happen, but it's not happening very efficiently. And it's like, Hmm, okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and one of them, especially with children that I've noticed is your shoulders should never move. So now I've got a child that's literally jamming their, their rib, their arms against the rib cage and trying like desperately not to move. And it's like, Holy tension. You know, how do you fix that? Like, so in our instruction, like we have to have some flexibility and, and, you know, be able to encourage exploration as well, I think. Right. You know, and I'm, I'm probably one of those two, you know, that,
3: um, I, um, if I was told that there's the best way to do it, then by golly, I'm going to do it that way. I'm going to get the, the, the medal for the best breather in singing ever. <laughs> That's and, a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's a thing. Cause I've been trying for a long time and I still have not got my medal in the mail. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, our, our precious little type A kiddos that are, you know, Uh, particularly have perfectionistic tendencies can really take breathing to um, uh, a little bit of an extreme when we teach them that there is a correct way. And I really, at least in the last few years, I've been trying to get away from that correct um, terminology to what do you need right now? What do you need in this song? What do you need in this phrase? What does your body feel like today? Because I mean, you even have to change if you're if you're a little sick one day, sure. you know you you really need to be um, able to flex and adapt in your breathing. And if you are convinced that there's only one way to do it, if one tiny little thing goes wrong, it can throw the whole system off, and um, and that that doesn't serve
0: anybody very well. So that's a really good point about. Um, being flexible in the moment, one of the things, and I don't, I don't know if you agree with this, but there's been times where I've been working with a student. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of, uh, of overthinking, I would say mm-hmm. about breathing. And my decision in the studio has been to just leave it for a while and not, not give them instructions. Cause it's just, they just aren't grasping it or in some t- in cases with children. They're trying so hard to show me that they're doing it correctly and bringing in all this tension. So sometimes my, 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 my focus is, you know, I'm not going to focus on this at all and we're going to pay attention to something else and maybe we come back to it a little bit later and see how it's changed or hasn't changed and and I and I I've always felt guilty as a voice teacher because I'm like this is one of the most important things but I have to say just forget about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> There's
3: so many most important things <laughs> you know that we can we can focus on um you know and, and most of the time I, I found this to be true. And, um, and I will, I will say that this is a change that I, I have, you know, uh, explored as I've um, matured and grown as a voice teacher too, because I probably started out. Well, not probably I did. I started out as, you know, there's the right way and I'm going to teach you the right way. And it was probably a lot of us, you know, um, that grew up in my generation that we started out that way and we just had to kind of learn and, um, and, and sift through what was good that we were taught and, and jettison the rest. And some of it we had to, uh, you know, just kind of learn through experience. Um, but um, I, I, I want my students to be able to take ownership of their own experience, of their own bodies, and uh, be able to say, I, I can do this. And most of the time, if we just let them sing, they'll figure it out you know and we can tweak and we can adapt but we don't have to, i don't think um this is my opinion so you know feel free to reject it if you choose that's okay um i don't think we have to establish a foundation of good breathing from the get go i really think we can adapt as we go along and tweak and we don't we don't have to, they're breathing i mean that's a basic fundamental life process we don't have to change it so drastically just because we happen to be singing in this moment.
0: That's my opinion. <laughs> I, you know, thank you again for saying that. I know in my early years of teaching, because of how I was taught, my first lessons with a student were like focused on breath. And, uh-huh. and I, and Mine I, too and looking back i'm like that wasn't serving that new student that was just getting started like it was there was so many other things that we could have been working on or or just getting to know the student like i think i jumped over the actually trying to discover what the student was about and and make them feel comfortable and i was like diving right into this is how you breathe for singing and i'm glad that i don't do that anymore but i think that uh, <laughs> I think that was my go-to in my my mm-hmm. early years of of teaching voice. Same thing, you know,
3: <laughs> and I just I hope that I have learned and matured and grown over the last 20 odd years or whatever that I've been teaching. Um, you know, and um, you know, maybe in the next 20 years I will, you know, change even even more. I hope so. Um, <laughs> just because that's 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 part of the growth as as a human and as a teacher. But um yeah, I've, I've become a lot more um, flexible in my approach to many, many things, but breathing being one of the main ones. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, when you're working with a student, do you get into the technical, like to the into the anatomy, maybe with an older student? Like we're going to get into the anatomy now, but do you do that? Mm-hmm. Do you do that with your students, like older students? I It depends on the student, but I do for a lot of them because
3: I know um, I have always been someone who has... Um, Like that lights me up when I when I learn how my body works, that that um, that excites me and that that um, inspires me. And so that makes me want to to know more. And so I'm I know I'm not alone. I probably attract those kinds of clients to myself. And so, um, you know, depending on their their understanding, I'm thinking I've got one one uh seven-year-old right now that uh we do get pretty technical but she's she's um very precocious her both of her parents are also physicians and so you know that probably has something (laughs) to do with it as well right um but I've got another one that you know she could care less (laughs) (laughs) but you know we do talk about how um how Uh, the everything moves on the inside and there's this big muscle called the diaphragm and that's what starts your breath. And so she knows the words and she knows, you know, kind of what it does, but we don't get too technical into Mm -hmm. it for her, you know, Mm -hmm. that's, and and so I adapt to that. Almost all of the adults clients that I've ever had, um, eat it up. They really like to know, um, particularly women. And I think, um, for that it's because, Um, when you get to a certain age, um, when you realize that your body is changing and things like that, you want to know all of the things because it's hard to find good information out there about women's bodies that, um, like through perimenopause and stuff like that. And so, um, I have found that a lot of, a lot of women, you know, 40 and up tend to really appreciate having accurate information about their bodies.
0: Nice. Nice. So how do you break down breathing? for those students who are interested and you, you feel that that knowledge would serve them?
3: Uh Uh-huh. Uh, one of the things that I like to do is, um, you know, of course I give them the high points, you know, there's this, you know, the diaphragm and, and you know, kind of, you can use your hands, you know, kind of, you know, make an umbrella shape with your hands and, you know, do the whole flatten and, and dome shape thing, you know, how, it, how it moves. There's a couple YouTube videos that I like to, to send them so they can kind of see there's one that's, um, um, a 3d yoga video and it shows the diaphragm. I and think it's I really- use the same diaphragm. I love that. Yes. I know. Yeah. It's great because it's like a minute long, it has fantastic animations and it's accurate. Um, I even used that in, when I was teaching collegiate pedagogy classes, you know, showed that to the kids. Um, one of the things I love about it is because it shows how high up in the body the diaphragm really, really goes. I mean, it, we have this sense that it's kind of down around our belly button, but no, it's kind of like mm-hmm. right up in the middle of your chest is is kind of where the, the high point of it is. Um, one of the uh, one of the fun exercises that I like to do is to um, kind of play with uh, in speech science. Um, it's called continuous speech, and it's what we tend to use in in either conversation. You know, like if someone is dominating a conversation and they just will, you know, like keep keep talking, um, or if you're like giving a monologue or a presentation or something and you're doing most of the talking, we tend to take in a breath tends to be kind of a big breath and then we just talk and talk and talk until the breath goes out and then oh. we take another breath. And sure. and so I like to do that because the diaphragm and the lower part of the intercostals are, are all involved in our exhale. Mm. The diaphragm is passive mostly because it's, especially when we're exhaling, which that's what we're doing when we're singing is we're, we're voicing on the exhale. So the diaphragm at that point is relaxing and the intercostals can, um, can be either relaxed or they can engage. And I like to, um, uh, have someone recite a passage. I like to give them the, the text of the modern major general, because almost everybody has, has heard that, you know, <laughs> it gets that you know, that, that patter song kind of thing to it. And I'm like, okay, just, um, you know, s- speak this for as long as you can. And that, t- um, teaches them and, and, um, they can usually f- uh, feel the point where the intercostal muscles start to kind of kick in and squeeze more of the air out. And that gives them an awareness of where their rib muscles are coming in. And so that they get a get an awareness of that. And then, of course, there's things like leaning up against a wall to, to take in a breath so you can feel how your back likes to expand a little bit. Or if it doesn't, maybe there's a little bit extra tension in your torso and you need to kind of work it out. Um, the kiddos like to do that a lot of times, leaning against the wall because, um, you know, they can breathe in deep and they're like, you know, pushed up, pushed out against the, or away from the wall again. And they find that that's a little fun. <laughs> So I like to give them an awareness of where can you feel where these muscles are are kicking in cuz we don't you know just walking around breathing living our lives we're not really paying attention to what those muscles are doing
0: unless something is going wrong. I love that. I love, you know, it's funny what you said about the kids like I find that uh when you when you have those aha moments with the little ones like it really is like they just they just light up, right? Oh yeah. And and I, I live I live for those moments, right? And then I also, like, I have to contain my disappointment if if it's not a big deal for them. <laughs> <laughs> they'll realize at some point how cool it is, I'm sure. <laughs> and that's what I say to them. Someday you're going to be like, oh, my gosh, that's what she was talking about. And then they'll be Nikki was a genius. <laughs> and, and, and then I always joke, I'll be probably dead, and you can come to my grave and put flowers in my grave and thank me. <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, that's dark." <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. Oh, something else I, I remember too. I liked also um uh, lots of teachers probably do this, but you know, hands on the head, you know, if they if their hands are on their head, sometimes they can feel that rib rib engagement a little bit more. Mm, that's a great one. Um for adults who don't like to do that because that can feel also very vulnerable to you know, kind of do that, um, sitting down and leaning forward with their, like their elbows on their knees can do a lot of the same thing without kind of exposing their bodies, you know, um, if that is an uncomfortable thing for them to do.
0: I'm glad you brought that up because breathing and, and nerves or, um, just being uncomfortable in the body could be a very, Uh, challenging thing. And of course, most people aren't going to say, Hey, I feel very uncomfortable right now. You're, you're just, they're just not going to want to show you or to, to maybe participate in that exercise as much. And I, and I'm really glad you brought that because I've had I've had a couple of students in doing, and of all ages, in doing breathing exercises where they immediately became very self aware. And I realized that I had kind of crossed into like some uncomfortable thing. And, you know, I was able to recover and go somewhere else. But I like what you said about sitting down because I find even in singing exercises, some of my adults just. Standing and I and I always teach this too when I'm doing the teacher training for the kids. Like standing beside the piano and doing an exercise or singing is actually a very vulnerable spot. So
3: mm-hmm. some- and we don't e- e- even even with our best intentions, there is a bit of a power dynamic at play because when we are sitting and our students are standing, we have a position of power. Right and um. We have to work very hard to, um, you know, to give them autonomy and to give them agency. I I find that um, kids can probably adapt to that a little faster than adults. You know, most of my clients are adults. And so they tend to come in um, with baggage, with preconceived notions, with history Um, you know, and not all of it is bad, you know, most of it is very, very good, but, um, I really have to work hard to break the, um, master apprentice kind of, of, uh, uh, thoughts that most of them come in with, you know, that, you know, we are, we are here collaborating. And so you absolutely get to tell me, no, if I, if I say something or, or ask you to do something, you can tell me no. (laughs) And, um, Most of them like to see their faces. If I had a collage of all of their faces, (laughs) every one of them, you know, is like, you know, eyebrows up a little shocked. (laughs) Like, really? You know, but yes. Um, And breathing in particular has um, some definite trauma triggers attached to it um, for people. And then particularly just to be. Uh, very, um, very, very blunt when we are working, particularly with women, we're going to have a high percentage that have had some history of trauma um, done against their bodies at some point. You know, the, the the statistics are around at least 25%. And so that's a lot. <laughs> and, um, you know, obviously we want to work on breathing. And I know <laughs> this interview has probably taken a little bit of a turn that we weren't expecting. No, but it's but, important. Um, but, you know, even in working on the mechanics, we have to consider that we're working with a whole person and has they have all of their history and all of their, their fears and all of their successes all wrapped up into that. And um, breathing can be one of those things that we just need to approach with sensitivity.
0: Wow. That is such a huge teacher takeaway. And I want to thank you, uh, for bringing all of that up because it's those reminders, you know, sometimes when we get into the studio as a teacher, we have all these goals, you know, not personal goals. Like, you know, we want to fix this and we want to get this song and do that. And then we do, we forget that the person in front of us is, is, carrying a heavy lifetime load of things and we we have to give them that space and I love what you also said about moving away from the master apprentice approach I mean it's just the master apprentice approach is just uh it's not conducive for creating a safe space mm-hmm. it really does and I wanted to ask you like a personal question like when you get started with a person and you are telling them that hey y- you you can say no. Is that within your first lessons, like when you meet them, you're setting those those guidelines for them? It um it really depends because it, you know, you some, some
3: students need that assurance faster than others. Um, um but I I try to establish that pretty quickly, maybe not by saying that out loud, but by giving options like here's here's something that you can do or you can do this or you can do this which would you like to do um or um and i ask a lot of questions like what have you done in the past that's worked um you know what have you what have you been taught you know um and so you know from the um from the very very beginning i'm i'm asking a lot of questions more than i'm giving directives um, I, I really try to try to do that so that, and especially so that they're doing more of the talking, more of the singing than I am. Um, some of my clients have gotten super annoyed with that, <laughs> you know, and a flat really? out told me like, you're the expert. And I'm like, well, no, kind of you know, yes and no. <laughs> like I've studied the singing voice, but you are the expert of your body. I've never lived in your body. I don't know what that's like. Um, and so um, but I, I try to establish as much uh, of a collaborative uh, thing as possible by by giving a lot of options, um, you know, and, and, you know, asking them, what would you like to do now? You know, and then uh, and then we go that I, I do that even with my kiddos, you know, like um, I usually bring them options like we can do theory. We can do this song. We can do this song. We can do the songbird warm up game. What what would you like to start with today? And um, and let them choose. Yeah. I
0: like that. Um, further, further question on that subject. Do you ever have students that when given the choice of what they want to do, that actually causes them stress? Yes. And they really would just like you to tell them this is uh-huh. what we're going to do. And, and how do you, how do you, cause I have those students and I'm, I'm here. I am trying to be, it's all about you, but they're like, I just, I just want you to tell me what to do. Like, just uh-huh. what do you think?
3: <laughs> right. I kinda of, you know, it goes back and forth. Sometimes I'll just be a jerk and say, No, <laughs> you know, you wow, need to choose. Okay, cool. Good for you. Um, and I, I tell them why. If they're if they're resisting against that, I, I just tell them this is why I'm I'm making you make this choice. You know, because when you get out into the world and you're you're you know, you're at church and you're singing, you have to decide in the moment what to do. I'm not great to be there to help you. And I want to give you, um, all the tools that you need to be able to make a confident decision. Um, or I'll tell them, you know, I, I, um, you know, the thing about, you know, you are the expert of your own body. And so you, you know, you can, you can definitely do that. Um, if it's causing too much stress and we're just getting to a point where we're not going to make any progress, then I will, you know, then I will say, okay, I'll make this choice next one's on you <laughs> you know we'll go back and forth um you know um i try not to just fall into the default of okay i'll just lead the lesson um that has happened on a few occasions when say that there's um I'm thinking of one one occasion where um, a client who was just out of college, so she was young 20s, and she came in and she told me that, her, you know, something tragic had just happened in her family.
0: Hmm. She just
3: didn't, she didn't have the brain space to make a decision. Sure. And so I let her through that lesson. That's a, that's a different circumstance. Of course. But most of the time, I really try to take myself out of the driver's seat as much as possible. And if I have to, I will... Boot them into the driver's seat <laughs> gently, mm-hmm. but you know insistently, because you know um i I cannot be with them when they have to make decisions in when yeah. they're practicing on their own or when they're you know when they're gigging or or leading in worship or whatever mm-hmm. um I want to be the voice in their head telling them they can do it, but not what to
0: do. Mm, I like that I love that Heather. As always, this is your conversations are so powerful with so many teacher takeaways. And I certainly thank you for your uh, expertise and your insight. And of course, you're our, you're one of our podcast experts. And we're going to hear from you throughout season six, we have some really great topics. Before I let you go, how can people find you? And how can people work with you if they're interested? Oh yeah,
3: absolutely. Um, There is uh, a page on my website, com slash resources, where I'm starting to compile a lot of stuff. Like you can find blogs there. I have a weekly theme every week um, that I um, uh, blog about and put resources on so you can find there. There's also a handy little table of contents Love it. You can find just about all of the stuff that I've done. Like if you want to, if you want to explore your own breathing philosophy, I've got a worksheet for that. You can love find it.
0: Um,
3: on my website. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Heather Nelson. And if you'd like to work with me, I do. Um, teacher consults. I, I'm going to find a better name for that. I just don't have one yet. Um, <laughs> where, you know, we we sit together on Zoom for an hour or an hour and a half, and you get to ask me any question that you have about anatomy or voice science or pedagogy or whatever. Or um, alternatively, I can drop into one of your lessons if you've got a sticky pedagogy problem. Um, I can Uh, observe one of your lessons and then we can chat about it and see if we can come up with um, ideas and resources. Um, And you can book that. um, There's a link on my website um, to do that under the work with me tab.
0: I love it. Heather, you are delightful. And I, I just I love I always have so many wonderful new strategies when I when I welcome my students back into my studio. So thank you so much. And we will hear from you again on the podcast.
3: Yes, absolutely
0: a very special thank you to all our expert guests phyllis Horridge, karen michaels and dr heather nelson if you would like more information about my guests and any of the products or links mentioned in this episode please check the show notes Now, next time on the Full Voice Podcast, my special guests are Donna Rodenizer. Donna's going to be helping me talk about all the fun things you can do for the Halloween season in your voice studio. Fun, fun, fun. And our good friend, business expert, extraordinaire, Michelle Marquardt-DeVoe is talking about setting boundaries. So many teacher takeaways, so be sure to subscribe and follow the Full Voice Podcast so you never miss an episode. My friend and colleague, I am hoping, wishing, my prayer for you is that all your students confirm their lesson times for the fall season and return your emails with haste. As always, I am wishing you inspired teaching and happy singing. Made by Canoe Music Productions. Sean Trotter, segment number five. We were talking about alt text captions, and this is the delightful karen michael michaels he calls you karen michael michaels because of chad michael michaels from Blades oh, yes. of Glory*. so that's why he does that so you're are you you are gonna have now- to
2: send him a message just from karen michael michael michaels oh my gosh excellent he
0: loves that, he loves that. so we love that movie so there you go all right here we go